The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith. Today I'm sitting next to Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Also have with us today Eric Lair, our Director of Research at Empirical. Hey, Thanks for joining us, Eric. Glad to be here. This show is designed to share with you prudent investment and financial planning ideas to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. We base our, our advice around um, well-supported empirical theories and uh, market research. Um, Today, Ethan, if you wouldn't mind giving out our contact information, and then we'll just start talking about a variety of uh, financial planning topics. I think that sounds great. Yeah, if you'd like to join the program today, um, you can reach us two ways. Via email at contact at empiradio.com or via phone at 866-472-5790. And uh, we'd love to hear from you, so give us a call. Okay. We would love to hear from you. We really would. And uh, would recommend that you visit our website at empirical.net. I would highly recommend that. Make it easy. We went to the net. Just empirical.net. You can download or watch the presentation you did, Ethan, on our... Completely free, by the way. uh, Oh, that's true. On the... How many secrets to retirement? Well, uh, on the current video on the website, there's five secrets. But I discovered... You held one back. I discovered a new secret. In fact... Thank you very much. We're going to cover that in today's show, or I think on or around segment three today. So now there are officially six secrets of retirement success, um, all of which will be revised and updated individually on our website here in the next month or so. In other words, I'm working on some of the uh, individual videos for each segment rather than having one big, long video on each of these topics. That sounds good. Yeah, pretty excited Check it about it. And Ethan, I, I thought we could start the show today as, as usual. There's always kind, all kinds of news. Uh, IRS scandals and other things, um, but it doesn't really help you make better financial decisions, although it can be entertaining. Sure. But uh, I thought I was talking to one of our younger advisors, and he was we were talking about well, what what makes uh, in today's in today's uh, marketplace what makes a person a, a successful investor? What would define that? And and as I was, I thought well, we could talk about that for a few minutes. Okay. And then, I know you and Eric have some investment articles and, and things you want to talk about, mm-hmm. and we'll get to that. I'm going to have to step out about halfway through the show today because I'll be um, heading to Phoenix to look at some office space there. We're going to be setting up an office in Phoenix, and um, so if you're in that area, stay tuned. <laughs> um, 
But anyway, Ethan, I, I was speaking with this advisor and, and really thinking it through, and, and it's not easy to be, to be a successful investor or to have a successful investment experience. I've seen so, so many investors not get all that they deserve to get out of their investments or their portfolio or their financial resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's very difficult. It shouldn't be that difficult, actually. And one of the, one of the articles that was passed to me about our, our retirement system it was in the New York Times, and I don't know if that was on your docket to talk about, but about how how you know the United States, um, comparatively speaking, it, and the, you know the titles how they do it elsewhere, and it talked about uh, how we have the best you know we have the best athletes and fighter jets and all these things, but we really have a very poor retirement system. Mm-hmm. But part of that, I think, is that it is very difficult if that responsibility lies with the individual. And so the, the article goes on basically to say why why are the other other countries were rated C? Mm-hmm. Um, if you read through it, basically you get to the fact that why are we because we're not we're not the other countries take more control of the pension system. Where here, there's a greater proportion of personal responsibility. We have Social Security, but there is Social Security for a lot of people isn't going to provide them with the lifestyle they'd like to lead. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain element of personal responsibility to take control of your retirement savings. Um, and in the article, they talk about strategies that make companies more responsible for that. But ultimately, my advice to you and to your, if you're educating your kids, would be to take responsibility of your own retirement. Anything that's in place, a safety net is great. And Social Security and other things that we put into mm-hmm. But why not take the attitude that I will take personal responsibility for making sure that I'm financially secure in retirement, then I will rely on safety nets when I need to. But to do nothing, which is what a large percentage of the country has done, um, and not necessarily because they couldn't uh, financially do something. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand if you're living check to check and meal to meal and just trying to get you, you're not thinking about saving for when you're 80 right but that's not in the statistics the average person who's not prepared for retirement they're not all in the very bottom demographic of income mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot of middle income earners and even high income earners that aren't doing anything to be appropriately uh, positioned for a successful retirement and that is completely separate from all the things that can derail you once you are on track. Right. Because getting on track, getting a regular savings, understanding how much you need to retire, to live the lifestyle, to do all the things that you know, will give you a financially fulfilling experience throughout the second half of your life. Um, part of that is taking the time to define those things, sitting down and really defining success because you're not going to be successful so my, this is part of my answer to this advisor. It's very hard to be successful if you haven't defined what success is. If, if success is just, do I have enough to cover this month's bills mm-hmm. and I spend the rest having fun or whatever, well, yeah, ultimately you're, you're on the road to nowhere. And so part of that is really defining, taking the time and the effort and defining that and then figuring out, well, how, how do I get there? And now that you're, once you're on track, 
it's having the education and the confidence in your strategy that you don't fall to the many pitfalls that can derail you from that. And that we can talk about if you want for a few minutes. Um, and I think you know, I was explaining, hey, our job as advisors should not be to... We talked, I think it was last week's show, about when I had saw, I recently saw Dylan Radigan speak. Mm-hmm. And he was saying how most of Wall Street is, is really focused. They don't care about what the, the average individual investor's emotions or feelings or things that they're really concerned about. They don't care anything about that. They really are care about the latest and greatest product. Right. I was just reading that one of the big bank slash brokerage companies just posted record profit margins. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that this particular institution is doing that by focusing on helping clients by putting their interests first. But you know, they they may have a great set of products, and that's how you know they've been able to do this for a long period of time. Right. Uh, but ultimately, that that you know those products aren't what's going to keep someone in the market at the most difficult. Uh, time and uh, most of these products, like I've said in many shows, were created to solve yesterday's problems. But they're great at, at getting money or procuring money from um, uneducated investors that want to want to be scratched where they're itching, sure. Rather than be presented the harsh reality of how the real market works. Yeah. For example, a most basic premise of that would be: if you are going to be invested in the market, and if we are going to expect or go after a substantial premium over inflation over our lifetime and defining why we need to do that is a separate exercise but let's assume we need to do that you will have to sustain losses but that's not scratching people where they're itching they're itching to hear i can beat the market i can give you double digit returns and we can do that without you ever having to sustain a loss right Right or or even have that risk. We don't really want to even talk about that risk. We don't need to talk about it because look at the strategy we created. Look how it worked for the last debt market downturn. It worked great. Mm-hmm. Not really emphasizing the fact that it may not work so great in the next cycle of time, and that next cycle may be through an, a, a positive market. Um, so it's great that a particular strategy didn't go down as much as the market this last time around for. Could what could be partic- completely random reasons, but it's not so great that you lose the the return that you would have gotten when the market does well. Yeah, so a lot of these strategies that were sold to people, right, at coming through this out of the market under, have not done very well relative to just a general stock market, globally diversified stock market portfolio for March of two thousand nine. And Eric, I think you keep our numbers updated. The global Average global equity from that March of '09 to now. Do you know what the rate of return has been on that? 150%? At least 150%. Um, and year to date, Ethan, I'm just glancing at the returns here. I mean, you've got U.S. large value stocks up 20% year to date. Wow. Nobody was predicting or projecting that. Um, and we wrote a little piece we were working on. I was just answering another question about that. He is. Uh, and I was just reading a title here um, in the investment news. Why we're not in a 1990s style market bubble. Valuation measures not uh, in nosebleed territory, but advisors see scope for pullback. Um, 
You know, we were. I was talking about that. There is a, a difference between the fact that the market just goes up and reaches some new high, which it always has for the last eighty plus years. Mm-hmm. We, to get to where we are today, we've always had new highs. <laughs> right. Um, but we talked about the study that shows hitting a new high in itself doesn't really mean a whole lot. Right. But anyways, Ethan, to get back on on track here, to be what does it take to be a successful investor? It takes an understanding of um, your market history. Um, it takes an understanding of how market downturns work and how they play a role in being successful. The reason why equities, as an example, offer a return premium over very, very conservative investments is because they have this un, unfavorable characteristic of going down at the time you don't want them to go down, um, which is usually when you're holding a long position in equities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to really understand how to how to harness the power of these equities along with the risks that go in with those. And part of that is understanding from the onset of a, developing an investment strategy what the appropriate way to benchmark your progress is. And so... Most people don't have any clue on how to appropriately benchmark whether their portfolio is doing what it should be doing or not. Other than if it's down, it must not be doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I got to ch- I got to make some changes. I got to be doing something different. If something in my portfolio isn't doing very well relative to other things that have done well, whether they're in my portfolio or outside, there must be something wrong with that, and I need to make changes to it. Um, and all those are not the best way to have a long-term successful investment experience. So you, you really need to understand at the, at the onset of the strategy, well, what am I trying to accomplish? Um, am I investing for 20 years to have the wealth that I need over the course of a 20-year period, or am I investing for one month? Right. Because the strategies would be drastically different between those two, and the way you would benchmark it would be very different. Mm-hmm. But many people, I think, if they engage, and I've seen the studies on the average duration for an investor is about one year is, there, is what they would consider a long-term for measuring the success wow. of their portfolio. And with that, it's very difficult because in any one year, particularly if you're on an all-stock portfolio, the benchmark or the range of returns that you would accept is pretty wide. You know, And so if I hired you, Ethan, I think we're going to have to take a break here in a minute, but... If I was hiring you to be my advisor, you put a very sound financial plan together for me and you explained very thoroughly all the investments and how they, the diversification should protect us from total catastrophic loss right. and all those kinds of things, I still may fire you in a year for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, it shouldn't be a situation where, as the advisor, uh, you know, I'm, I'm either retained or fired based on market performance when we know markets are risky. Well, let's talk about, let's pick up, we have to take a break, but let's pick up on this uh, from right here when we come back. Empirical Investing Radio. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management. 
inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio, your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. And uh, Eric, I forgot, all of a sudden, your last name escapes me. Go ahead. It's Lear like the jet. All right, Eric Lear. Sorry about that. Anyhow. This uh, time I thought it was Lair. In my mind, like, that's what I was know, thinking. The lion's lair. Right. You don't want to go there, right? <laughs> uh, so before the break, though, we were talking about uh, can you, a conversation you were having with uh, one of our other associates here at the firm. Uh, about what makes a good investment advisor, things along those those lines. You know what it was. A, it was a joint discussion about, or a two-topic, multi-topic. It was what makes a successful investment experience, okay, or an investor successful, and how does an advisor help in that process? Right. So, an advisor's success should be measured by the success of their clients, mm-hmm. and part of that, I think, is not the marketplace in general would would tend if you looked at who advisors that have accumulated large amounts of books and profits and it 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 may not be because they're actually adding the most value maybe for other reasons and one of those reasons we're saying is maybe they're scratching in people where you know where they're itching mm-hmm. and so they're th- always throwing new products and saying hey they, they figured out a way to be on the side of the table where it's hey that didn't work we better get into something different right right um and in in that model, you can actually keep people probably for a lot longer, um, because while you're while you're not, you know, while they're losing to market returns, the market averages are beating them. Mm-hmm. But it's because hey, we're we're all we were both afraid of you know we had to get out of the market. And now we'll get back in, and now we'll try this, and now we'll go to gold, and now uh, and ultimately investors the, the track records are very poor. So that what that translates into is they either have to work longer, go back to work, um, or they're sacrificing lifestyle. They're not giving away as much as they could to causes they care about, or taking the trips that they wanted to do, or helping a family member. Um, there is a sacrifice in lifestyle that's occurring. Mm-hmm. So what I was saying, in, in as we were taking the break, Ethan was, you know. One of the things that can derail a plan pretty quick is you take the time as advisor to put a thorough financial plan together, and you say, "Hey, this plan has been tested for markets of all kinds. It's got a variability of Monte Carlo analysis, and 
80 plus percent of the time, if we stick to this plan, you'll be successful. Within 12 months, if it just so happens that the relationship starts at a period of time where the market begins to decline, um, suddenly that 20 to 40 year plan that you put in place became, it was a one year test to see how you would do. Um, right. And if you, the plan said I was going to get 8% a year in return. I actually lost 5%. Why would I continue to pay you to be my advisor? That makes no sense. I could have lost 5% on my own, right? Well, if if it was for that one year... Probably true, and I would say probably a lot more than 5%. (laughs) Or a common response would have been, I could have not hired you and paid you anything, and I could have bought a CD for the last year. Right, right, right. And I would have been positive instead of down. And then what happened to that plan, right? Well, part of the responsibility has to lie on the shoulders of an advisor, particularly one that has a fiduciary obligation to put the client's interest first. Mm-hmm. And part of putting the client's interest first, in my humble opinion, Ethan, is educating them even when they don't want to hear what you have to say. Maybe they're not excited about hearing that the way the market works, in order for us to glean the most out of the market returns that we'll, we'll get for and by the way, another little analogy along that story I was saying is, you know, getting out of the market after it's gone down, we were, if you look back at our writings all the way from 2008 through the bottom of 2009, we were saying, hey, don't get out. The market will recover from this, particularly the way we are invested. Mm-hmm. Because we own virtually everything in the world, it, it, will, it will recover. We're confident, we're very, have a lot of faith that it will recover. And the right thing to do is to rebalance and stick with the approach and refocus over the duration of your investment time horizon, which is, for anyone we had exposed to equities, was far longer than the time it's taken to recover and be where we are now, hitting all-time record highs. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to do that, um, you know, it, it takes a clear understanding that... Oh, I'm sorry... The, the, the fiduciary obligation part to educate clients that we could have a down market next year. And not just because we happen to be in an up market, glaze over that or gloss over that and not mention that. Because, hey, why mention that now? Oh, I'll wait till the market goes down and then I'll explain all that. Mm-hmm. But everything's good now. Right. Um, my, my point is that you have a fiduciary obligation to educate a client and, and and particularly in a time period where for the last 40 years, everything that Wall Street and most of the financial media has put out is, is bad information and bad advice. So for most people in our, in our society here, they have been misinformed about how investing works. And they don't really understand the difference between speculating and investing. They're one and the same for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to decipher that takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort to, to read the material. Yeah, everybody, everyone has to uh, sort of reinvent their own investment wheel, as it were. You know, I mean, they have to go through the process of learning and educating themselves. They're not born with the inherent knowledge of how best to invest, right? No. <laughs> that necessitates, I think, you know, this, or rather, what perpetuates that is this, this idea of the marketplace with all the products coming out and, hey, we're solving. That, that immediate issue, but not addressing the larger issue, which is, well, how best should you approach investing to begin with? No one's born with that information, so they have to sort of learn that along the way, and you may never learn it properly, right? It's kind of a school of hard knocks. Sometimes you do after a 
several, you know, getting your, your hand slapped or getting burned on a particular stock investment or a hot stock tip or whatever, but uh, it makes it hard. And that's why I think that's therein lies the value of knowing your market history, right? If you know your right. market history, that's a part of the education, you know, part of the educational process of how best to invest them. Uh, and that's part what an advisor does bring to the table is that the knowledge of the, uh, of the history of the market and how you, know, you can glean from history lots and lots of things about how best to invest. And we can give that to clients that we work with. In other words, accelerates our education. And not only can we, I think the, the point I'm making that the industry doesn't necessarily agree with, or I'm not seeing on any large scale, it's, it's, it's our obligation to do that. Right. It's our obligation to say, hey, I know we know enough um, about investor behavior to know that if we don't, if we don't while, while cooler heads are prevailing right now, when we're in a calm stage, we're starting this plan together, um, if we don't cover these, what what inevitably will happen, and some of these topics are things like bear markets, bull markets, bubbles, sectors of the economy that are going to get hot, um, because you can lose money by uh, in the, by pursuing the hot hot dot or the hot sector, right? Right, sure. You can also lose money by getting out of the market after it's gone down at the, at the worst possible time, right? Right. There are so many ways to lose your money. Uh, and in an irrecoverable, people who pulled out of the market at the oh, bottom, yeah. any you know, from January to March to, uh, and sat out until recently, they've the returns they lost. They'll never be able to recover. Right. Um, sure. And it would pay multiple, multiple lifetimes of of advisory fees. That's why I joke around about the the Vanguard stuff about not paying fees or the articles. Um, some of the greatest fees that you compare are these big mistakes that you make at the at the at the wide ends of the spectrum of market right. frenzies or or market declines. Right. Um, and so you have to understand, and it's our job to educate. Even when people don't don't want to hear what we have to say, they still need to know the truth about how markets work and how investments work and how it can get them through their their lifetime. And part of that is understanding. You have to ignore 90% of what you read in the, in the financial <laughs> right. media. Right. You have to ignore your friends and your family who tell you you're crazy, that they got out two weeks, you know, two months ago before the market went down. Right, right. I can sit here and I could list out everything that you will hear and everything you will experience before it happens. And if you understand that and say, yeah, I know that I, we know that this is going to happen. We know, I know when stocks go up, there's going to be certain sectors that we're not – Overweighting into for very good reasons, I can tell you in advance. Just like if we went back and we weren't overloading into technology funds, mm-hmm. um, but your neighbors and your friends and your family and the guy who has a subscription to Smart Money magazine that's sharing his insights with right, right. Um, Susie Orman or whoever else is going to be telling you you should be loading up on that stuff and that you know they can't believe you haven't already done it and why would you hire an advisor who's missed out on all these great returns I, I don't know where they go after the bubble pops but so you have to know that and that needs to be discussed you know who do you listen to the mark you'll find gurus all over the internet that are writing blogs and letters and that fit everyone's uh, disposition towards a particular view, right? Exactly. Whether you're negative or positive, or what sector, or, um, and so you really need to discuss that and have a plan for how you deal with that. 
Well said. Well, I don't know about that, Ethan, but um, <laughs> I was just sharing that, you know, I, th- I think the important things rarely get get emphasized, the things that really make a difference, right. rather than reading the daily headlines and what, you know, what CNBC's uh, list of analysts are saying or, or guests are saying about what sectors of the market, is Apple stock going to go up or down? Um, who cares? Really should be the response, yeah. other than, hey, it's great to... I like Apple. I like the product, but I'm not worried about being able to retire because I'm sweating it out. Going, are they going to be able to continue on without Steve Jobs and continue to innovate? Because I own the entire economy. Mm-hmm. Um, I own Apple in my portfolio within proportion of its weighting. But uh, I'm not making my life uh, financial. Um, Security. I'm not betting that on Apple, right? Or any one particular piece of news that's hitting the hitting the the grid here on, on a daily basis. Yeah, it's unfortunate that those things are so hard to ignore. I mean, we are we're all bombarded with uh, media from every angle. You know, on our phones, at home, on TV. I know some of us still get the paper, so even that probably would be included in that. But it's hard to ignore that stuff, and it gives you the false impression. Uh, of having knowledge, and really all that stuff is just information. You know, it's yeah. not sort of actionable, it just is what it is. Um, it should not be influencing your day-to-day you know, portfolio decisions. Well, Ethan, thanks for letting me, uh, Eric and Ethan, thanks for letting me share that for these first two segments. I know you have some exciting information you want to go over for the second half Riveting of the information. I can't and, wait. Uh, thanks again, and I'll, I'll see everybody uh, next week. Sounds great. Okay. We're going to, I think we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Ethan and Eric. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you are listening to empirical investing radio with ken smith and co-host ethan broga to call into the program with a question or comment please dial 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com now back to ken and ethan 
Okay, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, Ethan Broga, uh, alongside Eric Lear. Exactly. Sorry, I got the last name correct this time. Uh, Ken, as he mentioned in our previous segment, is uh, stepping out. He's heading down to Phoenix tonight, um, looking down at some uh, possible expansion opportunities for our firm down in the Phoenix area. We'll be back on Monday next week. And, uh, you know, Eric, it sounded like you had some, some closing comments, I think, on what Ken was discussing about in the previous segment. Maybe we can start with that. Sure. Uh, all I wanted to add was, and you can, you know, sort of tell me what you think about this. I think I will. <laughs> but uh, I think it's also important for investors, and then this is our responsibility as your advisor, is to make sure that you understand at all times exactly what you're invested in and, and why you're in that. You know, we use a whole bunch of different asset classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we have real estate, we have commodities, we have different types of, you know, different bond funds. Right. And, you know, and, and we can explain to you why, why we're using these assets. Right. And I think kind of getting back to what Ken was talking about with some of the new hot products, mm-hmm. uh, people will see, oh, this product sounds really good or it's done really well in the past year. So they'll get into it having no idea what it does. And Ken had mentioned earlier a uh, big financial institution, it was Morgan Stanley, uh, just had record profits. Um, And I thought that was, it was good to mention them because Morgan Stanley um, in the the mid-90s had got themselves in all kinds of trouble because they were peddling these derivatives Mm -hmm. to uh, to individual investors, to pensions. Uh, It was a big scandal with the uh, the, uh, Orange County. Okay. Oh, right, right. I recall that. Uh, Because... They were selling these products. These investors maybe weren't that sophisticated and were scooping these things up, having no idea what they did. Uh, nor the risks involved. Yeah, nor the risks involved. They, they weren't sure what, the, what was underlying these because uh, they're, they're derivatives, right? So they're based on something entirely different. It's pretty complex. Yeah. Um, and they got the uh, Orange County in particular, uh, they lost all kinds of money because they were invested in, it was a, a bet on the peso, in the direction of the peso versus the dollar. <laughs> and uh, the fund manager had no idea about this stuff. Hmm. Uh, you know, and, and it, that's, that's just, it goes to show that if you don't, you don't understand why you're invested in a particular product, um, they can do things you don't expect. Right. Uh, and just, just like within 2007, 2008, everyone was scrambling to buy these, these mortgage-backed securities. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, not really necessarily understanding what's going on, what's underlying them, are these good bets or bad bets, Right. but they're doing well, it's the hot product, mm-hmm. and the, the big financial institutions, everyone's going to peddle these things, because if you buy a derivative product from an investment bank like a Morgan Stanley, like a Goldman Sachs, if the product goes up, they make money. If the product goes down, they make money. Yeah, they, they've got no risk in that. They right. make their commissions. Uh, you're the one who's stuck with the risk. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's important to understand the, the incentives behind these things. And again, what, if you're invested in, in an asset, you should understand why you're in there. I think you hit on it there with the, uh, specifically the incentive. What is the incentive in, in that environment? And it is to sell more product. Mm-hmm. That is the incentive. It is not to help the end user, the end investor. Mm-hmm. Where I think it's exactly the opposite with what we're doing here at Empirical and other firms like ours who are independent like us, where... Our objective is to really help the investor make smarter decisions, and that's how we get compensated. Mm-hmm. We're compensated to do that, not to sell products or push products or to having to do with specific products uh, in themselves. Uh, really, is to find the best solutions given the, the, the client's circumstances and, and needs and goals and things like that. 
Um, so it's vastly different, and I, I really wish that there was a clear way for the consumer to, to appreciate the differences there because they're enormous, and the impact is obviously significant as well. Yeah, well, and, and with uh, our personal situations is, is that I think most people at the company, we invest in, in our, our own models. Right. You know, so if, if, if our models are, are not performing well, it's not just the, the clients who are getting hurt. It would be us as well. Right. And we're obviously, when we're investing, it is based on the, the time frame uh, of the individual. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we know very well the historical relationships between the, the different portfolios, levels of risk and return. And what to expect from year to year in terms, not of a, a specific rate of return, but rather a range of returns in any given year is kind of the way I like to look at it. Um, and we're able to, sh- to demonstrate that, how it's happened through time and why we expect um, reasonably good things with the portfolios we choose going into the future. Um, I think clients that we work with glean, glean confidence and comfort from all of that. Sure. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, for our next topic, uh, should we move on? Let's move on. All right. I heard you had a secret. I do. Get the cats out of the bag. Um, yeah, actually, I, I just included this uh, in our the, the five secrets program, um, which I mentioned before on the radio program. There's a there's also a video on our website and some materials about the, the five secrets of retirement success. And uh, I added one here recently, so now they're actually officially six secrets, which I think is fantastic. You know, more is better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has to do with long term capital gains tax, and maybe just a little history on this. Uh, a few years ago, um, I think it was back in 2010. So for 2010, there was a, a law, that particular year, a tax law, that suggested that or made it so people who were in the 15% tax bracket or lower would pay zero capital gains tax. You know, it had something to do with the Bush era tax cuts, basically, is how that worked out. Uh, well, because they didn't sunset, and actually they continued that same law for the next two years, 2011, 2012, uh, for an additional two years, you can realize long-term capital gains up to the 15% tax bracket and, and pay no tax, which is a pretty good deal, right? Sure. So for, for folks who are in that situation during that period of time, I was able to bring that up to them and say, hey, this is an opportunity for you to, to diversify your portfolio. So let's say that a client had a uh, million dollars in a portfolio. Um, maybe a bunch of it was in uh, a couple of stocks like Microsoft or, or Amazon or something like that. And they've been reluctant to sell the stock or at least reduce the holdings because, well, they're going to pay a lot of capital gains tax, which is always an unpleasant, uh, unpleasant thing. Well, up to that limit, though, they would pay no capital gains tax. So it's an easy way to, def- to go ahead and unwind a, a concentrated position and, to a certain extent, pay no tax on that. Right. You know, if you sold $200,000 worth of stock and you had nothing, nothing else going on with your tax return, in other words, no other income, no deductions, you simply had $200,000 of capital gains. On the first, you know, in this case, about $70,000 you pay no tax on. That's a pretty low effective rate on, on that type of gain. Absolutely. Um, so I was really... Uh, thinking that, well, the, the, the opportunity for this is passed now because going forward in 2013, it's very unlikely, it seemed at the time anyway, that they would make this, this law would continue on. Uh, they were going to reshape all the tax laws, income tax laws, um, estate tax laws, capital gains tax laws, which a lot of them did get affected this past January when, the, when Congress passed the most recent legislation. But to my surprise, this specific element was, was retained. So it's true. It still is true. It's viable right now. In 2013, if you're married filing jointly, if you have up to $72,500 of income, of capital gain rather, you'll pay no tax on that. That's pretty nice. It's a pretty amazing deal. It's, a, it's tax-free. Who doesn't like tax-free stuff? I mean, clearly everybody does, right? The government doesn't. Right. Well, they made the law, so I'm surprised that you know, they wouldn't. I guess they would prefer that clearly it's, it's taxable. But there, what this means, though, for, uh, for, for practical purposes, there's an enormous implication, obviously. Um, 
it's kind of like the Roth conversion that we've talked about previously on the show, which is one of the secrets of, the, of retirement that we have in our program here, that it isn't so much in any one year that you do a Roth conversion and therein lies the magic, right? The magic is the compounding of doing that for a continuous period of time systematically, um, and then the, the buildup is enormous. You know, by paying a little bit of tax on a Roth conversion, voluntarily volunteering to pay a little tax now to avoid paying a lot of tax later, but doing that every single year for several years in a row, particularly early in retirement, it's an enormous difference in, in wealth in terms of tax savings over time, which we've demonstrated before with, uh, again, the, the slides that we have on, the, on our website. But this is the same type of thing. It's the same type of magnitude. So let's say you're an investor. You don't happen to have any tax-deferred tax assets to do a Roth conversion with. And maybe, you're, uh, maybe you have uh, $2 million in a portfolio. And let's say it's all in a, in a taxable account. So you're concerned, obviously, year-to-year with capital gains. You don't want to realize unnecessary capital gains usually. But part of that portfolio income is going to come in the form of dividends, right? Either qualified dividends from stocks or either non-qualified uh, or ordinary dividends from the bonds or, in some cases, municipal bonds. Right. So some of that even could be tax-free. But any gains you realize, potentially, up to that level, would be tax-free. And if you did that year-to-year, year, you just took advantage of whatever room you have in the 15% tax bracket year-to-year, year, it could add up to a tremendous amount of, of difference in wealth over a longer period of time. And you might be thinking, boy, if, if I... If I have $2 million in a taxable portfolio, I'm a millionaire. What am I doing? How, how, do I, how would I qualify right, to pay no capital gains tax? That seems like that's unusual. But in reality, it's not. And actually, I'm putting together um, – this is already part of the formal presentation that we do when we walk around uh, in the area and give these presentations. But I'm going to put it on our website, this specific uh, secret on there, and demonstrate very clearly it's very easy for folks who have significant amounts of wealth who are millionaires, you know, to pay no tax on this, this element or this part of their, um, of their wealth year to year. And then what is the compounding effect of that every single year? So one example would be this. I have one right here. You have $2 million in a taxable portfolio, half stocks, half bonds. You're getting $25,000 of qualified dividends a year, which is just basically a 2.5% yield on the, on the stocks, basically. And in this case, I've used municipal bonds. In this case, you're getting $23,000 of, of tax-free municipal bond income from that the million dollars you have in municipal bonds, which is very doable. You know, these are actual numbers we're using in our portfolios right now. Sure. So from, a, from an income level, you have about $25,000 of taxable income. And we'll assume you have no other income. Or maybe you're not taking Social Security yet. Maybe you're not at that age yet. You don't have an IRA to worry about. So you're not taking required minimum distributions or anything of that nature. So here you just have simply taxable income of twenty five grand. But you have $2 million in a portfolio. And then maybe you have your standard deduction. And if you're married, that's 12200 bucks. And if you, you're married again, you have... Uh, two personal exemptions. So that means you have $20,000 of deductions. So your taxable income in that situation is $5,000. Obviously very, very low, right? So all you need to do is figure out how much you can realize capital gains tax-free is to take the, the current uh, limit, $72,500 for, for married folks, uh, minus $5,000, which is your taxable income, gets you a number that you can realize uh, in any one year and pay no tax on. So in this case, that'd be about $67,000 of long-term capital gains, income tax-free. That's pretty awesome. So you have a year like this last year with the stock market going up 20%, which you realize that's 200000 bucks last year, a million bucks. You realize almost $70,000 of that and pay no tax on it. And you, knew that you would do that on purpose because there's no, there's no risk, right? You would, you would simply want to step up that basis every chance you get. Every year you can, you can do that, you would do it indefinitely. And here's the, the remarkable thing. It seems like a pretty simple situation, but a lot of times most people don't, integrate their tax planning with their investment planning. They're really two different things most of the time. 
when I meet with folks all the time and I ask them, well, who does your investment? So it's so I do it or they have somebody do it or, oh, well, who does your tax return? Well, they, have, they do it or they have somebody else do it. But very rarely are the two people talking and really coming, coming together for an integrated strategy. In fact, it hardly ever happens for the most part. Yeah. Well, I'm not complaining too bad about that, but it's basically the way that it works. And I think it's partly because they're just, they're, they're, they have their, their nose to the grindstone and, hey, we're doing this in the investments from here, we're doing this tax returns. But there's a lot of overlap. And that, to me, is a big opportunity for advisors like us to add a lot of value. Um, so I think this is really exciting. And I think we have about one more minute left in this particular segment before we move on. But I wanted to give you an idea of the compound effect of this. And uh, uh, let's say, for example, you were to do this strategy every single year. So every year you realize as much as you could in terms of long-term capital gains up to that limit. The 72000 Yeah, if you're married in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you did that every single year versus let's say you just realize gains every five years, you'd have a significant difference in wealth. And in fact, over a 30-year period of time, uh, the way I've calculated it here, you would save, just in tax payments, $184,000 in my example, uh, which I'll have posted here to the website, uh, in, in net wealth difference. That's some serious money. It's some serious, serious money over time, no doubt about it. Um, so I, I didn't go through all the details of how I came up with that calculation, but I will have it on the website if you're interested in taking a look at it. Uh, the savings is enormous, and it, I think it's worthy of inclusion in, in, the, in and among the five now six secrets of retirement uh, success. So maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more and uh, on to other things in our next segment. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio, thanks for joining us today. Your host here, uh, Ethan Broga, alongside our co-host for today, Eric Lear. Very good. Um, we're talking here today, mostly uh, in this segment anyway, or, or the, the prior segment, um, about tax-free long-term capital gains, uh, which I, I find obviously very exciting. I think it's pretty pretty amazing that this rule exists, and there are ways you can 
structure your portfolio to help maximize this opportunity for folks. And uh, one such opportunity came up with uh, a client that we have uh, here at Empirical that we've been working with for some time. Um, this person is about is in their late 50s. They have some assets in their IRA account and some, some assets in their taxable account. And over the prior couple of years, we've been uh, mostly spending any money, any tax money that we're willing to pay at the 15% level, um, converting IRA assets from an IRA to a Roth, which I think is generally a good idea. Um, but with the, the idea of this long-term capital gains um, opportunity going away, entering 2013, which is I thought was likely, um, we elected to spend our, our tax budget, if you will, for that particular year, uh, realizing long-term capital gains to, to take advantage of this opportunity and then obviously con- consequently diversify the portfolio further. So, for example, this client had some existing positions that we had held on to and built around with, basically, in our current portfolio. So we uh, had the ability to essentially sell about $80,000 of, of, uh, uh, of uh, positions, of the client's positions, uh, that we've been sort of using as a substitute for other positions we would rather hold uh, in 2012 and able to sell those and realize virtually no tax, as it turns out. So if you look at this person's tax return, married filing jointly, uh, itemizes deductions, has about $20,000 of itemized deductions. Their taxable income, including of all this stuff, was about eighty grand for 2012. So they paid virtually, and all, most of that was a capital gains tax, or capital gains, I should say, of which they paid very, very little tax. So I got an email from the client. And by the way, we do, we're doing tax returns here in the office too. So and actually, uh, next to my office is Lauren Enquist, who, who heads our, our tax um, department here at Empirical. And uh, so this is all planned out, obviously. But what, what was great about it is the, the, the guy doing the return is in my office next door. So I bring this idea up to him. Like, hey, I want to see how this flows through the tax return so I can tell the client, hey, this is what we're going to do. Do some real tax planning. And uh, so we got the ideas together, formulated what we're going to do, communicated, executed it, and that's exactly how it worked out in the real world. I got an email from the client after the fact, after uh, completing the tax return with, with Lauren. Uh, he wanted me to re-explain how his tax bill was so low. He had earned income or income of about you know, 80000 85000 something like that. Taxes were only, only around $2,000. Wow. For the whole for the year, 2012. I mean, and I, I had to explain again, well, hey, this is the deal. <laughs> Any gains below this particular level are, are at a zero capital gains rate, which is phenomenal, obviously, and uh, was, was flabbergasted, just that I can't believe that exists, and you're looking out for that was the main gist of, uh, of his email. And uh, it was just, it's a great opportunity for, for folks out there. So I love, obviously, I get very excited about it. Something I'm very passionate about, save money on taxes for folks. So um, I don't know. Well, and, and especially we talked about at the start of the show, if you've been invested since 2009, your portfolio has gone up right. over 100%. Right, right. 150, depending on what you're invested in. That's, right. that's a lot of tax savings to be had. Sure, sure. And we, we often talk about um, you know, this idea of, of capital loss harvesting, which is a good idea. Sorry, it's capital loss harvesting, right? Tax loss harvesting? Sorry. It's, <laughs> I'm getting, now I'm getting them all confused. So tax loss harvesting, right. So when securities go down in price, we sell them on purpose to realize the losses to offset future gains, which is obviously a reasonably good idea. But in a market like this, there aren't a lot of opportunities for that, which is, I guess, a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we obviously take gains rather than losses anytime we can get it. But there's also this opportunity to harvest, loss, harvest gains rather on purpose uh, and, and uh, allow you to get a step up in basis effectively uh, and or pay no tax along the way. So it's a pretty powerful tool. Very nice. Hey, uh, do you want to spend the next uh, few minutes of the show talking about um, one of the articles you have there? I would love to, Ethan. Okay. All right. This is an article from Financial Advisor magazine, 
Uh, it's called Investors Piling into Short-Term Fixed Income ETFs. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just kind of go through this quickly here. Sure. Um, let's see. So this article came out yesterday, actually. But uh, in April, BlackRock launched a three-year fixed income ETF called iShares Bond 2016 Investment Grade Corporate Bond ETF. That's quite a long title. <laughs> Indeed. With $10 million. Just four short weeks later, the ETF has attracted an additional $5 million in investments. And it's one of four in a series of fixed maturity ETFs that have attracted an additional $20 million in investments overall. So let's talk about, what's the, what, tell us what a fixed maturity ETF is. So these are ETFs that are designed to essentially act like bonds. So they are, they are ETFs, so they're, they are open-ended, but they have a maturity date. So the way these things are structured, this is a 2016 fund. Mm-hmm. They buy a bunch of securities that will mature at the end of or before 2016. Okay. So it's, if you hold this thing to maturity, it's, it acts like you're holding a bond to maturity, but instead of just being one security, you have a diversified portfolio. Oh, that's attractive then. Yeah, and you can use this type of fund to build out bond ladders. Um, it's an option that, that we offer our wow. investors. That's great. And it, uh, it's, it's particularly good if you have um, specific income needs mm-hmm. uh, because you can structure your portfolio so these things mature in such a way as your income needs are covered by the maturing fund right okay. essentially just just like if you did it with a uh with a, uh an individual bond mm-hmm. okay. um and we're pretty short on time here so let me just quickly summarize the article talks about how all kinds of money is going into the short-term funds uh short-term bond funds and floating rate funds uh because everyone is worried about well when when is the fed going to raise interest rates sure when interest rates go up uh the value of bonds goes down right that's just a you know axiomatic relationship, just the way that works. Yeah, yeah. So people are understandably worried. Interest rates are, are basically at zero. They can't go lower. They're going to go up at some point. I don't want to get hurt by this. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You you shorten the duration of your bond portfolio. You get things that that um, mature sooner mm-hmm. because the longer your your bond is, longer your bond fund is, the more you're going to get hurt by rising interest rates. Right. Okay. Uh, and I guess the the end of the spectrum here would be these floating rate funds. The floating rate funds uh, or floating rate securities, anything with the floating rate, uh, isn't going to be negatively affected by interest rates going up, right? Because the rate be getting paid for the fund will just go up with it. I see. Um, so we get some questions about why, you know, because we don't use these particular funds in our portfolios. The floating rate. The floating rate. Funds. Okay. And we get some questions about that. Well, interest rates are going to go up, right? So shouldn't we be in these funds? Right. And uh, the problem with this type of fund is that markets are pretty efficient. Um, Yeah, that's true. And we're not the only people who realize that interest rates are going up. So (laughs) (laughs) That's true as well. Yeah. So people have been piling into these funds for years and years and years. The floating rate funds. The floating rate funds. Uh And... They're essentially yielding nothing at this point. So the prices have been, been moved up so high because people are buying them. That yes. forces the yield, obviously, in an inverse relationship. So it's lower now than it was in the past. Yeah, and, and they're yielding less than uh, comparable, very short-term uh, fixed bond funds. Oh, okay. Uh, which essentially are going to have the same effect when interest rates go up because they're so short-term mm-hmm. that you're not going to see a lot of 
uh, downside. A lot of downside. You're not going to lose a lot of value. Right. And uh, the, given the nature of uh, floating rate securities, they, they tend to be issued by financial institutions, by big investment banks, commercial banks. Right. Uh, so this, this particular fund mentioned in this article, which is uh, iShares FLOT, okay. is 60% in uh, financial institutions, which is really not well diversified. Hmm. And that's that's exactly the kind of uh, portfolio we got about thirty seconds left. Okay, uh, that gets crushed when you have a financial type crisis. Oh, for sure. So, so not diversified enough. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's about it for today's show. We're coming up in about fifteen seconds left. Um, just want to thank you all for listening today. And uh, if you'd like to reach our firm, feel free to visit our website at empirical.net or give us a call at two zero six nine two three three four seven four. And feel free to ask for Ken or Ethan. We'll be happy to speak with you. Take care and have a great day. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. Thank you.